Vix the Convince. Welcome to the Vix the Convince podcast. Here's your host, NewSpark founder, Paul Mosenson. Hey, it's Paul Mosenson, founder of NewSpark Marketing and NewSpark Consulting. Welcome to our podcast, Fix the Convince. Today we have a really special guest, and her name is Ruth Stevens. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Paul. Glad to be here. Today we're going to talk about concept of database marketing, and it's pretty critical to have a properly updated, clean database, and we're going to talk about the importance of that. So let me talk about Ruth a little bit again. So she uh, consults on customer acquisition and retention, specializing in business markets. She also teaches marketing at business schools in the U.S. and abroad. Ruth is a guest blogger at Biznology, Target Marketing Magazine, and Business to Community. Crane's B2B Magazine named Ruth one of the 100 most influential people in business marketing. Her newest book is B2B Data-Driven Marketing, Sources, Uses, Results. Ruth has held senior marketing positions at Time Warner, Ziff Davis, and IBM, and holds an MBA from Columbia University. Well, I'm impressed. Hey, thank you. Oh, nice. Well, let's get right down to it here. Oh. Database marketing, what is that? How would you like to define it in your words to um, our audience today? Hmm. You know, this is really interesting question because it's almost a philosophical question. Sure. I think the, the traditional answer would be it's using data about customers and prospects to be a more effective marketer. So the data would be used for things like maintaining a record of the ongoing interactions and the development of the customer relationship. So that's all outbound and inbound communications would be recorded in the database. It is also about trying to identify opportunity. So we might use past customer data to try to predict future customer data, building a statistical model at the high end or just doing basic segmentation at the low end in an effort to target and a, make appropriate offers to customers based on the data that we have about them. And then the other thing that, that can be done is use it for measurement and assessment of your marketing programs, assessment of business opportunity, forecasting. There are lots of applications around measurement that can be supported by the marketing database. How's that? Yeah, I mean, it's good. I want to have a follow-up question there. So here's one of my spontaneous questions. Cool. So when you have a database, then these are not exactly, of course, clients or prospects. So is part of the process to take all these prospects you have and try to segment them by your ideal buyers? It's almost like called like lookalikes or um, whatever you want to call them as far as modeling goes to focus on those names or how would, what do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the heart of one of the key applications of database marketing, namely identifying the most likely prospects 
the low hanging fruit of the entire universe. Lookalike modeling is one of the age old ways of targeting prospects. Uh, we might make a, a bit of a distinction between importing prospects into our marketing database or using the the segmentation or modeling that we've done with our marketing database to acquire third-party prospect or data from third-party vendors. And you know, both of those are, are possible. In business markets, we often do import prospect names and company names, individual and company names into our marketing database. But in consumer markets, we usually don't. And there's good reasons why. Uh, sure. Um, yeah, as you can imagine. Yeah, privacy and all that. Um, it's really more ROI, uh, although, of course, we all need to be respectful of privacy. It's because in con the consumer world, the likelihood of a prospect name converting to a customer is generally lower and uh, the prospect universe is, is can be gigantic so we tend and and data tends to degrade really fast so it's a good idea to bring in the names as they're needed and if the name is not available for purchase but only for rent that's an even bigger likelihood in in the consumer world so there's no point in in you know, it's not available to be brought in and um, and housed in in your own marketing database. But mm -hmm. in B two B, data is usually sold for complete multi channel use, and at the same time, business buyers or business targets, as you know, tend to be really limited in in volume. Like, I mean, we all know companies who have no more than a thousand or ten thousand prospects in the world um, when it at the company level or the account level so there's uh, you, you want to have all of them in your marketing database or assuming that they all are really potential customers yeah well that's the thing I know there's companies out there I've used them where like you talked about modeling and things like that, um, you know, they take your database and you basically segment out the companies that are like say priority, right? And then you load them up and then to this platform and, and then they take, here's similar companies that with keywords or whatever, industries, size, and that may look like them, right? And then I know yep. that, and then, you know, this is for another topic on a podcast, but, you know, the whole thing about intent data, Bombora, things like that, right? Yeah, you know, where they, they now, Right, now they, like, overlay um, these newer companies with the intent companies, and then they say, okay, now we can give you the database of people there, of these intent companies slash lookalike companies, and then you have a new set of targets there. Yeah. Did I explain that right? <laughs> so. Yeah, intent data is really the single most exciting new development in B2B data-driven marketing today. 
it's really uh, just, it's like catnip to marketers. Yeah, well, not only that, though, and again, another sidebar here is, you know, again, another topic, but with platforms like LinkedIn, Facebook, even Google, if you have spend enough that, you know, the whole idea of customer matching and even with B2B where, you know, they try to match up cookies and device IDs with who they are on the internet. And then you wonder like, why are we, why is our ad on, uh, you know, publisherclearinghouse.com? Well, because that cookie on your computer means you might've read about this subject three times. So we think you're an intent data point and so we're going to target you right yeah exactly <laughs> um the, what you're talking about is known as identity resolution and that simply means being able to link the identity uh, of the various touch points that you have that the target has left behind the crumbs that the target has left behind through various devices and pull and recognize that those crumbs all belong to the the same individual and in consumer identity recognition has become quite sophisticated so that you know the example uh, that you mentioned can be possible and pro probably annoying to consumers yeah but in the yeah. <laughs> in the in the B2B world, it's, um, I think, even more interesting and important because business buying, as you know, is done by a committee or at least a group of individuals. And there are several that we may not know about. So our ability to talk to them all through multiple touch points through omni-channel, so to speak, is really valuable in B2B. The order sizes are larger, the sales cycles are longer than consumers, so it's really important to be able to access these people and bring them over to our side, a topic that you call convince. Yes, that's all part of it. Talk, going back to the database itself, how is that organized? Like, what are the, is there a certain best practice of fields or data points that should be in a database? Or like, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, great question. Uh, the big difference between B2B and B2C databases is the, the hierarchies, meaning at, in a B2B database, we usually organize around the, the account. And underneath the account, there are individuals and all the information about them. And um, and the especially their role in the buying process, which can either be inferred by their title or maybe we have other ways to determine whether they're an influencer or an end user or a decision maker, specifier and other other roles. But the, uh, the essential strategy around data in B2B is, is similar to a consumer database. The, I like to say almost poetically that the database represents the recorded memory of the customer relationship. 
and in it we want to have everything that we know about the customer that could be relevant to our ongoing ability to communicate with them and treat them properly to um, increase the the likelihood of a positive ROI with them or an expanded ROI and we also want to have the ability to contact them accurately and completely through multiple channels so all that data needs to be in the marketing database man for sure it can be complicated couldn't it right it's not an easy assignment to keep that organized right um fortunately with the um the use of relational databases it we have unlimited ability to add new data elements because each element is housed in a table in effect in a, a relational database and unlike you know a so-called flat file which are usually used in operating databases marketing databases are usually in relational format so if you decide oh here's a great example so social media comes along and you say oh i need to add a twitter handle element to all of my my customers and, and prospects in the marketing database okay let's just add a table called twitter handle <laughs> and and that that table would have two elements one would be the unique identifier that connects it to the customer record at the individual level and the other element would be the twitter handle itself so we have infinite ability to add new elements and keep up but as you point out there are a lot of complexities and the number one challenge is hygiene <laughs> keeping the data keeping the data clean because b2b data tends to degrade at the rate of four to six percent per month some data elements turn over faster than others but i mean look at us we're all changing jobs we're changing titles we're changing mail stops these days gosh you know yeah. this week we're none of us is going into an office so right um yeah. this, is, this is march 20th 2020 everybody so because people will <laughs> listen to this five challenge. years from now we hope right so anyway exactly. yeah yeah for sure <laughs> Um, you mentioned a couple words there, data hygiene, data cleansing. These are buzzwords we hear, and like I said, you want to keep them updated here. Um, and obviously, I don't know if that's manually or you hire companies to do that, or you want to like maybe just talk about a quick best practice on... Sure. You know, this is a, a favorite topic of mine because it's the one that is really a source of enormous business leverage, meaning if you can keep your data cleaner than your competitor, you're going to have business advantage. And there are a number of ways to do it, and I'll just review some of the most important. The first is that you want to key enter the data correctly in the first place. And this sounds sort of mundane and stupid, but in fact, data entry often in the B2B world is done by a salesperson. Oh boy, I mean, that is <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> I mean, we I all know. I had no idea, okay. Yeah. Typos, well, you know, if you're 
maintaining uh, salespeople are all on CRM systems like salesforce.com and there they meet somebody at a trade show and pick up a business card and then they go enter it. So standardizing uh, the data and training key entry personnel is, is an important first step and it's not as easy as it sounds. And then another important way to keep the data fresh is to train and motivate any customer facing personnel in the company about the value and importance of data so that they can be updating it. So these would be your call center personnel, people at a trade show, anybody who's on, in a conversation with a customer has an opportunity to say, so are you still, is this still your title? Is this still your direct dial phone number? That kind of thing. And then you have to determine the extent to which you want those people doing that work and, and it's not a one size fits all. But to your question about automation, there are tools that can clean data using software. Either you can do that internally or externally, but keep in mind that there many of the data elements are not standardized, meaning the fact that I have this title this week and another title the next week, nobody really knows that. The only thing, well, I know it and my company knows it, but it's not standardized anywhere. So the only data elements that are standardized really are postal related data because every address in the, in the, uh, the U.S. anyway is standardized by the the U.S. Postal Service. So uh, a, a data cleaning software, whether provided externally or, or or bought internally, can catch those errors and also fix things like uh, cor correcting email addresses if there's a typo in them, for example. But then what it really comes down to, I think, is um, well, oh, another technique that, that can be helpful is companies that have relationships with existing customers. And in B2B, as, as you know, Paul, those relationships are really important. Our vendors are an important part of our manufacturing process. And yeah. so we want to we keep a, a good uh, uh, relationship with them over time. So that means that our 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 customers are actually likely to be willing to keep us apprised of changes in their data. So having a customer preference center where we allow them to tell us through which channels they want to hear from us and get you know, their email preferences and, and phone preferences and so forth can be a way to get them to help us keep the data by asking, what's your title? And, and what's your direct dial phone number and so forth. But ultimately, most B2B marketers will end up taking at least a segment of their customers and doing handwork through outbound communications, either phone or email, to verify their top customers because you do not want to address your customer by the wrong title. And you, if, and you don't want to lose their email address or their phone number. So those are some of the, the methods that B2B marketers use. Sure, sure. Use a, a probably another phrase that's out there too is mm -hmm. data appending, right? Which is right. filling in blanks that may not be there, you know, just accessing the web and data and right and filling in the blanks. And 
Mm -hmm. And this is a, a standard service offered by most B2B data vendors. And they, you basically send them your files and they will do, do two things usually. They'll update the old data, like that title that I had last week. They'll tell you what my title is now. And they'll also append for really just pennies a record um, the elements that are missing. Now, this can get become problematic because I, I think what mark, responsible marketers need to be doing is thinking carefully about what data elements they really need. Because what with data hygiene and the importance of marketing communications, we really shouldn't be collecting and maintaining data that is not going to have any business value. So I urge companies to develop basically what I call a data strategy, which is simply what data elements do we need about our customers and where are we going to get them and keep them clean or keep them updated as, as you pointed out. And then third, why do we need it? What are we going to use that data element for? What's the justification? Um, when I teach this stuff in business schools, one of my favorite assignments is having students create a data strategy for the, the company that they're studying because it forces you to think about data in a strategic manner and to also develop an appreciation of its importance to your success in, in business. So. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, building the database. Now, if this country, United States, is different, I know, from others because of rules and regulations. But listen, we all, I mean, we all expose ourselves to these programs. I'm not sure if I'll mention their names, but third-party sources. Download our list. I mean, no, well, one is popular, like Dun & Bradstreet, right? Um, they sell email lists. Um, there's other ones. I'll just mention mm -hmm. like Discover.org and used to be Zoom Info and things like that. There's a, a number of them out there. And, yeah. you know, they're not perfect. You know, they can only get what they can get. Um, but, you know, what are your thoughts? I mean, mm. it's, I mean, you know, nobody likes to get cold emails, but it's just kind of the way businesses run, right? But what are your thoughts on all this? Well, those are two different questions, I would say. Let me yeah, probably, uh, yeah. <laughs> attack the third-party data question. Uh, I get bombarded daily by suspicious-sounding business list vendors through email. I'm sure you do, too. Yep. Uh, to the point where I've actually created a nine-point checklist for how to avoid or how, how to select a reputable data vendor, <laughs> which I can, I can share uh, the URL to that article with you, or you could Google it. But of course. anyway, um, it, it's important to work with a reputable vendor. And Dunn & Bradstreet is certainly one of them, as is ZoomInfo. And just to correct you, Discover.org actually changed its name to Zoom when they bought ZoomInfo a few months ago. 
so it's actually the oh, okay. work. I know they, I know. Gone away. Uh, oh, okay. Just, yeah, the flip, flip of what you had said. Okay. And there are a bunch of other ones uh, that are reputable, but the, the reason for using third-party data vendors is, is very strong. They are likely to have fresher data than you have, and they will also fill in the blanks of that prospect universe that I discussed earlier when, you know, I mentioned that most companies have a target audience of way less than 100,000 accounts. And uh, if you're limited in your prospect audience size, you want to have every single one <laughs> in your database so that you can uh, get all the business that you deserve. Unlike consumer, especially in the US where, you know, there are 320 million consumers, uh, like, so with a few exceptions, uh, we, we can sort of afford to be a little bit cavalier about how we how we treat that data. If we lose one customer, there's always another one to to go after. But in B two B, that's different. So uh, if you can do business with a reputable one, a couple of tips on that front would be to ask them for a sample, <laughs> tell them the kind of data you're trying to get, and ask them to to send you. I don't know a couple of records, a uh, hundred records or something, so that you can look it over, eyeball it, and see if these are the names that are, are actually in your wheelhouse. And if not, go back and, and specify more, more tightly or otherwise um, compare them against their competitors and, and ask for similar samples from multiple vendors. Mm -hmm. um, on the email front though, I, I'm a bit of a old-fashioned thinker on this subject. I, I agree with you that nobody wants to receive emails from people they haven't heard of. And I, I deplore the fact that we business marketers have, I think, quite lazily fallen back on um, using email as a prospecting tool. I think it is the least effective prospecting tool available we should be using other means for absolutely cold prospecting. Now, if we have a relationship with the account or the individual, like we met them at a trade show or they responded to us uh, online, um, they filled out our web form or they um, revealed their email address in a chat bot, say, then email is superb. It is the, the most uh, effective and uh, certainly the cheapest communications vehicle. But for cold prospecting, I, I um, advise against it. Yeah. And I, I know I'm swimming upstream, so. Yeah, there's just a lot of pluses and minuses, especially with hungry companies too, right? And uh, yeah. um, so with my list, um, is it okay if I promote the podcast to my cold list here? I'm just wondering, <laughs> you know, and I'll, I'll feature you. That's your decision. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, this is an important subject, though, but why do you think B2B marketers neglect this data um, and don't maybe spend as much time on it as they should? Yeah, you know, this is a subject that is quite near and dear to my heart because 
I, having started my career in database marketing at Book of the Month Club um, quite a number of years ago, I was exposed to the value of data on my first day at, at, on the job. And I learned to love it for its power and also its ability to help me make decisions in a logical way without letting the, you know, the loudest voice in the room make the decisions or the mother-in-law of the CEO make the decisions and so <laughs> forth. You know, how marketing decisions are often made by whim or by, by gut feel. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really, not afraid of data and I'm uh, really enthusiastic about it. Uh, but many of my colleagues in marketing uh, are afraid of it. And that's maybe a harsh word. Maybe they're not afraid of it. They just don't have any interest. They're more interested in other marketing functions, which I totally understand. They're interested in messaging, in creativity, in figuring out how to convince effectively and it's more um, fun and those are and yeah <laughs> and so i i totally get that but i also think that it's our responsibility to so this is sort of the school marm in me saying now now johnny uh take your medicine <laughs> it's your responsibility to look at a handful of customer records every now and then get familiar with it have lunch with your data administrator and you know talk about what are some of the issues and opportunities in that marketing database and get to the point where you have the a, a similar level of respect and enthusiasm for data and um, are going to be willing to put the time into it or hire the resources to invest in the resources to keep it clean and otherwise uh, get the best value from your marketing data. So thank you for letting me make my pitch on that subject. Sure. Well, actually, uh, that's probably a good way to end this conversation, right? And it's a good summary. Are there any other Thanks. final thoughts or I think we covered it or anything else? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to share my thoughts and I'm always interested in, in this topic and I hope I've been able to convince a few of your listeners about the opportunity and, and importance of paying attention to data. Right, for, for sure. I mean, that's <laughs> everything in marketing, you know, with convincing, like you said, is also about relevancy and, you know, segmenting lists we can go into that and um even like marking automation and you know hey a prospect just visited a web page what should we do right you know that's more data um right. you know i mean there's so many different things going on but it, you start thinking about the database is one thing but trigger events with those prospects whether it's 10 or some other activity that's picked up through your crm um, are worth paying attention to because they're still engaged. And, yeah, and then when those things happen, if you set it up right, again, it comes from leadership is to, hey, maybe this is worth picking up a phone <laughs> and calling and saying, would you like to do a demo or something? Cause, but, um, 
but you know that's all part of the whole process of uh, utilizing data the, the right way to make it relevant and uh, um, yeah, we can go on and on and on but another day well Ruth this is very a uh, good conversation and I want to thank you for uh, joining me and, and giving the audience an, a nice introduction to the importance of uh, database marketing and uh, and just really have to you know look at look at the big picture and think about it you know we have this how do we do it the right way here here thank so. you paul i enjoyed it you're welcome all right stay tuned for another podcast later on and uh thanks for listening everyone it's paul mosenson and we're here to fix thanks for the listening. convince subscribe to get more marketing optimization insights fix the convince